We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by co-host Nick Filato. We're here tonight to break down the All-22 coaches film of the Giants' defense in their unbelievably impressive victory over the Seattle Seahawks. The best defensive game I've seen from a Giants team in a long time. The best win the Giants have had since that Week 14 game in 2016 against the Dallas Cowboys were similar the defense completely took over. That game was sprung by an Odell Beckham Jr. slant to the house. This game was sprung by a Wayne Gallman 60-yard run, which we talked about on the last podcast. But the general feeling you get when you watch a defense playing at this level is, one, what travels to the playoffs when the weather gets cold and you're playing outdoors? Defense travels. Uh-huh. Two, what also travels? Point of attack on offense, running the football, offensive line playing well, not having communication breakdowns. And right now, you're combining those two things. If the Giants' defense can play at the level they played in this Seahawks game, they can compete with anyone, man. And I am super excited right now about this Giants team. When you watch the All-22 film, you come away even more excited with this defense. This was brilliant, creative plan by Patrick Graham, perfect execution by the defense, discipline in so many spots, key plays on key downs. The Giants were faced with five, five individual plays that could have altered the entire landscape of this game in every single quarter of this game because it was so close. And on every single occasion, the defense came up and made the play. That is unfathomable. That's unbelievable. That's extremely, extremely exciting. And I want to know how you're feeling because I'm feeling this good. How the hell are you feeling about this, Nick? You want to know how I'm feeling, Dan? I do. I'm feeling pretty good. It's pretty, 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 pretty good. What was that? Was that what I thought it was? Joining the show, special guest on the show, making a special guest appearance and then leaving. The man, the myth, the legend, my favorite human being probably. And most people would think that's a really weird statement, but it's a true one. Larry David. The master of comedy. Yes, I said it. I believe that man is the master of comedy. And he came in just to give us a little pretty, 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 pretty good. And I think that's exactly how every Giants fan should be feeling watching this defense. If you did go back and watch the All-22, if you're relying on us, which I know most of you are, which is awesome. We're happy to be there and be that source. We're here to break it down for you. And this is just 
good stuff. Play after play, series after series. We're going to definitely walk through the five game-changing plays, and it's crazy that there were that many of them and that they came up big on all of them. But I want to talk some big-picture stuff here first, Nick. So I want to get into this game plan that Patrick Graham had against the Seahawks. Hey, Dan, what do I have written down on the piece of paper right here? Dysfunctional... No, disguised formation. No, it's disguised intentions. Wow. Nick Filato's penmanship in his notes that I'm looking at here might actually be on par with his ad read voice the original ad read voice <laughs> I'm not the new and improved one after the after he went to the voice coach this is the original Nick Pilato ad read voice I have the penmanship of a doctor and the intellect of a dick, <laughs> of a really poor ditch digger <laughs> yeah, speaking of ditch diggers and doctors they both were featured in individual episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm for those of you who know what I'm referencing really funny one with him not being able to read a doctor's penmanship but disguised intentions that's an excellent way to talk about what Patrick Graham did in this game. And one of the overarching general notes I wrote down and something I thought was so interesting in this game was this was the most man coverage we've seen since week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And remember, when the Giants used week, uh, used so much man in week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers, they were burned by it. They couldn't play man in that game. They didn't have the horses at cornerback two. They didn't have the ability to even throw it out there without getting burned. The whole second half was just a display by the Steelers' offense, which, by the way, has been a total disaster really since that Giants game in my mind. They're throwing 60 attempts a game to get 280 yards passing. That's not good. And at the same time, he never really came back to it too much, mixed it in a little here and there, and then this game, we finally started to see a lot more man coverage. I know you have a breakdown of the coverage, so why don't you get into that, Nick? Yeah, so I think one reason why the Seattle Seahawks struggled attacking the Giants' man coverage is they didn't know when the Giants were playing man because they're so good at disguising everything pre-snap. It's because they played a lot of zone, too. They had the majority of their snaps were still too high zone. It seems like they played a lot of just cover two types of defenses. And I kind of charted all the different coverages. I have some of them in red because there are variations of certain coverages. Sometimes the Giants will run zone on one side of the field, man to the other side of the field. So they kind of get really creative. They still had cover three, but not nearly as much as they, they have in the past. The touchdown was against cover three, the touchdown to Chris Carson, which was another Kind of like we talked about on the offensive pod, they flooded one-third of the field vertically with two vertical routes. Chris Carson ran that little slow-go route and was able to get open on the pylon, but they also ran a bunch of two-high man coverage, so two-man under, as Madden players will identify it as. I think they had like 15 plays like that, and I only charted the passing plays, so the running plays obviously have coverages, but then they all do their run fits. And then there was two cover zeros that I saw. Only one of them was a variation of cover zero. Cover one, they ran about six or seven times. And then there was a couple cover six type plays, which is quarter, quarter, half, which is a zone-based defense. So Why don't you explain really quickly, because I know some people will follow all of that, but some might not. So explain individually cover zero, cover one, and cover six. Cover zero is also known as the Greg Williams coverage right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the coverage. The tank for Trevor Lawrence The tank coverage. for Trevor Lawrence coverage. So cover zero <laughs> means you're bringing everybody in pressure so you're basically bringing six plus in pressure and then there's no safety help at all and everybody's just in man coverage so what greg williams just did against the raiders to allow the jets to tank which was really asinine she put some poor like undrafted dude against henry ruggs who runs like a 429 it was With ridiculous no so basically it's just man coverage across the board no safety help and then heavy pressure coming on the blitz cover one is a single high look with man coverage underneath Cover six was the quarter, quarter, half. So you're going to have your deep three covering defenders. One of them is going to take half the field. The other two are going to take a quarter of the field. And then you're going to have underneath coverage. Cover three is just three deep, four underneath. Two high is just two players that are going to play high zone. So it's going to be half safety taking half the field, the safety taking half the field, and then five covering zone defenders underneath. And then you could also do so many different things off of this. They were running basically deep Tampa 2 where the either Jabril Peppers or Blake Martinez was dropping deep to take away the seam from the number three receiver, which we saw several different times, essentially just playing man coverage. And the zone coverage just isn't necessarily man zone. They do like zone match, which is more of a man coverage type of technique. When someone enters your zone, you basically just attach to them and you pass them off. It requires a lot of different kinds of communication. Communication is different from spot type of zones, spot drop type of zones, which the Giants also run. But I saw a lot of zone match here. It kind of looks more like man coverage, but you can just tell from the onset of the snap if it's initially man or if it's initially zone. So the Giants did a good job, a good job diversifying their coverages and also disguising it so damn well with safety rotations, bringing people down the line of scrimmage, bailing them right before the snap happens. And it, it takes 
It sounds easy, but that's really not easy to do that, get to your landmark and execute your assignment. And Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, they, they do that so damn well. And we really should be acknowledging them for it. We really should be. It's not just Patrick Graham and the defensive coordinator here. And obviously he deserves a whole lot of credit, but it's also the players and his ability to coach them and his ability to and their execution on these plays. And I think it's awesome that you wrote that down and you circled it disguised intentions that's a great way to describe Patrick Graham's defense against the Seahawks so Patrick Graham's defense overall I think there was an excellent conversation that I wanted to get into earlier this week on NFL Network between Daniel Jeremiah move the sticks on Twitter one of my favorite analysts in the game a former scout who's now leads their draft coverage and Mike Silver who I know how I've learned since because I didn't really follow this at the time but I've learned since that he's not a fan favorite among Giants fans because apparently he had some comments about the Mark Colombo situation that rubbed Giants fans the wrong way. I don't care about any of that, but what I do care about is this. There was an awesome conversation that broke down just what makes, what, you know, leads all of us to confirm what we already know, those of us who watch the film on it, those of you who just watched the broadcast angle or have learned from us who watch the film on it, or however may, however it may be that you take in your Giants football, that they have something really special here in Patrick Graham and on this defense in in total, not just with Patrick Graham, but with the additions of Bradbury and Martinez, two really big borderline Pro Bowl players, probably definitely Pro Bowl players right now. Leonard Williams, the third definitely Pro Bowl player. And then Jabil Peppers, a guy who, in my mind at least, has really benefited from Patrick Graham more than anyone else on this defense. For a while, they needed to find a fit for Peppers after they made the trade for him last season. And they didn't really find that fit in James Betcher's defense. They found a home for Peppers. He's using him in the perfect way to let him thrive based on his skill set, in my opinion, Patrick Graham is. And this conversation started with Daniel Jeremiah saying that what the Giants are doing on defense right now, and you know, guys know we've talked about this a lot all offseason and before the season and why I believe it's a great decision by Gettleman, Judge, and Graham, the, pe- the three people who's put the blueprint together for how they're going to build this defense. But he said what they're doing is so similar to what the Patriots do and what they're able to do. This is from Daniel Jeremiah, quote, there's just so many bodies to sort through on the back end and a QB, and as a QB, you just don't ever get a clear sight line down the field. He said, they let they don't let the ball sail over their heads ever. They limit all big plays. It feels like you're throwing into a, a defense that has 12 or 13 guys on the field every play because they're able to get home with just four-man pressures. Now, that was the case this game. Me and Nick have our concerns against some of the better offensive lines, but it's been the case this game. It's a very challenging defense overall. He said, I saw it firsthand eat up a rookie quarterback, and now I saw it on film against one of the best in the NFL in Russell Wilson. And Jeremiah said, I came from doing the covering the Patriots game to them watching the tape because he wanted to see how the hell did the Giants upset the Seahawks? Like, how did this happen? How did this Giants team go in to Seattle eight and three and upset them? And, you know, that's a, what they're doing on defense is just so awesome. And it leads to a larger discussion too, by the way, like when they hit the offseason, are they really even going to go crazy to get this edge rusher like a lot of fans think they will or do they kind of believe in that Patriots way which is we're going to improve the corners we're going to improve the pass coverage we're going to scheme up pressure because that's how we can generate pressure we'll see where that goes and then Michael Silver said something really interesting he said in NFL circles Patrick Graham is generating serious buzz whatever that we knew but he said I talked with Seahawks offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer before the game this is the key point to this and he said Graham is disguising things so well that I feel I'm resigned to the fact that we're not going to be able to know what the defense is, what defense they're in on any play, what their plan is. So our plan is just going to be to run plays. And he said this quote that Russell Wilson knew well and was comfortable with and just do and just have the Seahawks kind of do their thing. So basically, he thought that this defense was so hard to game plan against and it's disguised so well on every snap, like Nick said, disguised intentions, that he doesn't even, you know, he can't game plan against it. He has to just run the things Russell can do well because there's no way to figure out what the Giants are actually doing. That's that's the highest praise, in my opinion, you can give an opposing coach, what Schottenheimer gave the Giants. And some of the numbers here, man, since week nine, the Giants are allowing just 17 points per game and just about 300 yards per game. That's nothing on offense. And they have the fourth most takeaways in the NFL with 10. It's This defense is turning into a next-level unit. And you can see week by week, we're always talking about little wrinkles that are different. And if you look at the game plan against Brandon Allen and the game plan against Russell Wilson, they're very, very different. Much more man coverage. We only saw inverted cover two, I think, twice, and it was different than what they were running against Brandon Allen, where they were really trying to bait Brandon Allen to throw Mm -hmm. that quick dig or that quick slant route, try to get him to throw the interception. 
And I had concerns if they came out and ran a lot of inverted cover two because I know that there's a big vulnerability in the deep parts of the field. They didn't really run that in this game. Like, they're just so on top of their P's and Q's. And I'm so proud. <laughs> I'm so Amazing. proud of what this Giants defense has been able to do. And again, no offseason. And with no offseason, I think that's another reason why it's taken a while to gel. And you've seen Patrick Graham, such a testament to his coaching ability, early on came out in man coverage. All right, this isn't going to work with the personnel. Let's just revamp and change our coverages totally. And we also, we're not even touching on the fronts. We're seeing different types of fronts as well. We saw the tight type of fronts. We saw BJ Hill and David Mayo and Blake Martinez being used on the edge because... As legitimate edge rush. (laughs) Yeah, to set the the edge when they didn't want to put Carter Coughlin out there sometimes. And Carter Coughlin played, what, 46 snaps or somewhere around there, and he looked good. They ran at him twice, and it, it didn't necessarily go all that well in those situations i think there's going to be a liability there but damn that kid is relentless relentless <laughs> in the pass rushing game motor and on just at, at, at the play where he gets out on to, on russ on the fourth and one roll i mean that's incredible motor that's incredible recognition that's incredible hustle and that's basically what carter coughlin is there were two reps in this game from carter coughlin where he bull rushed the right tackle and got the pressure like he literally his 240 pound body maybe it's 240 it might be 235 but he's super strong, by the way, for his weight. Bull rushed and got a nice pressure on the right tackle. He was giving that right tackle fit. Yeah, and there were also plays with Carter Coughlin that Patrick Graham told him, hey, and I'm guessing you told him that it could just be an incredible play from a seventh-round rookie, just hmm. a very savvy play, where he goes to rush, and if he's not really getting in there, if there's not a clear path, he kind of backs off, yeah. and then he becomes a quarterback spy on Russell Wilson. And now I think the Giants have a really... I think they're going to have a really unique game plan to spy Kyler Murray and, and Lamar Jackson. I think that's going to bring in Xavier McKinney. I think we're going to see Xavier McKinney's snaps come up because we saw it a little bit in this you game. You did start to see a little bit. Yeah, Still only six snaps, but we saw one snap where he's right in the box. I think that's one you're referencing. I think there was like two where he was spying Russell Wilson. Yeah. And I think he is going to grow in that. But Carter Coughlin also did that. And then Carter Coughlin was able to put pressure and earn pressure on the quarterback from doing that because Russell Wilson would flow one way and then Carter Coughlin would find the angle. He was away from the blocks because the blocks the blockers really stopped paying attention to him because he backed off. Yep. And when you are that quick and that athletic, and you can kind of have that quick twitch, just zero to 10 type of acceleration that Carter Coughlin has, you're very, very dangerous in those situations. And he did a really good job in this game doing that. Without a doubt, this is the most snaps he played and arguably his best game of the season in my mind, because not just because he played that extended role, the snaps he put on tape. We're going to talk about a lot of other things on this podcast when it comes to defense. One thing I want to talk about is the game plan for Russell Wilson when it came to containing him which I thought was brilliant by Patrick Graham. I've seen so many coordinators make the mistake of how they rush, they pass rush Russell Wilson. It is really important when you're rushing Russell Wilson to rush him in a certain way. And there were two plays on this in this game that led to sacks where they had Blake Martinez on one and they had Leonard Williams on the other where he spins off the left tackle, Dwayne Brown, the last second, where they're just used to contain Russell Wilson in that pocket, not let him get outside. And so I want to talk a little bit about that, Nick. But before we dive into all of that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing, and you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. 
BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day every day. Head to BetOnline online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, so let's talk about that specific play from Leonard Williams and is a great example of what we're talking about, how they rushed Wilson in a certain way to contain him within the pocket and not let him escape it. Yeah, so this is a, it's first and 10, 52 seconds left in the third quarter, and the Giants line up with a, basically a 2-4-5 type of front with Nico Lalos and Jabal Sheard as the edge rushers. You have Leonard Williams as a three technique to the boundary, and then you have BJ Hill as a one technique. And Leonard Williams takes an outside release, attacks the outside shoulder of the left tackle, Dwayne Brown. And Dwayne Brown does a good job just kind of controlling Leonard Williams. And a lot of times you see in these situations, you see that the pass rusher try to spin inside, try to aggressively get off of the of the block. But Leonard Williams just stays there. And it almost looks like, oh, this guy's not putting any effort into trying to get off the block. That's not it at all. Because it's a delayed blitz where Tay Crowder, he's kind of just playing a middle hook zone. He kind of inches close to the close to the line of scrimmage, and he becomes his quarterback spy on Russell Wilson. And then after Russell Wilson hits his back foot and is looking around at the coverage, he just comes flying into the pocket. There's no one blocking uh, in front of Russell Wilson because everybody is kind of focused on B.J. Hill and Nico Lalos. And on the back end, you have a too high type of look where there are man coverage principles going on. You have man coverage on D.K. Metcalf. You have man coverage on Tyler Lockett. So it's a very unique coverage. You can tell that Russell Wilson kind of struggled with this type of coverage. And Tay Crowder comes in, and that flushes Russell Wilson out. He tries to do his spin outside, but little does he know, Leonard Williams is just waiting for him. This is a contained type of defense where Leonard Williams could have done everything to go inside because he had all the time to move inside, but he knew not to break contain in this first and 10. He allowed Russell Wilson to come to him, and when Russell Wilson tried to do Russell Wilson things, he couldn't because Leonard Williams was waiting for him. That is so much discipline right there. And there were multiple plays on tape, not just from Williams, but from this entire defense, where them using that exact technique, that contained technique, to keep Russell Wilson from getting outside the pocket with his patent spin and roll out and create time and find the open receiver on the, you know, backyard football play, as they like to call it. The Giants eliminated that, so that stood out to me. And while we're talking, let's talk to Leonard Williams, because if the Giants do let him hit the market, I don't think he will ultimately hit the free agent market. I think the Giants are going to re-sign him before that happens. But if they do, this will be the game tape, I think, that teams pull up and look at and go goo-goo-gaga over when it comes to Leonard Williams, because this is his best game by far, in my opinion, as a New York Giant. He was unbelievably dominant against this offensive line. My favorite play was was probably my, you know, my favorite play actually is a conjunction. I think you might actually have just pulled this up randomly, not knowing I was thinking about it, but it's in conjunction with my weekly, why is BJ Hill so underrated uh, clip of the week? And it's the segment nine from Seattle 40 with 624 remaining in the third quarter for those of you who want to look up. And it's just so funny watching this. BJ Hill destroys the right guard, number 68, with a move off the line of scrimmage. It's just so classic BJ Hill to get there. And then Leonard Williams is maybe even more impressive on this play because he beats a double team of the left guard and the center in just hilarious fashion, and the pocket is just completely collapsed for Leonard. Uh, I'm sorry for Russell Wilson here. He's forced to roll to his left. The play is then dead essentially, and it's just awesome to watch these two when they're working together. The few reps where Hill is on the field, and this is just an example of play after play where Leonard Williams posed his will on this offensive line. Hill, and BJ Hill. Dude, Hill had a, like two reps against Damian Lewis, the rookie out of LSU, where he just hit him with a quick a swim move, a quick like club swim move and threw him to the deck. And there was one where it was like Damian Lewis was just getting up so slowly, so dejected. And there were a couple clips like that where Damian Lewis just kind of looked like he was totally dejected by these interior defensive linemen of the Giants. But BJ Hill, man, and I have this on my paper circled. It's just active, powerful hands. He's so quick. With his hands, he's so quick to shed, and he's so quick with finesse pass rushing moves that you don't expect a 308-pound man to really have. And he's very, very efficient at doing it, as we know, because he doesn't play all that many snaps, but he's earning more and more snaps because he's so damn good at 
executing these types of moves against interior offensive linemen. Yeah, he's earning more snaps is right. In this game, BJ Hood, 32 of 72 snaps. Dexter Lawrence with 37. Leonard Williams with 50, which was impressive to see. That's how he was playing so well. The Giants were like, we like to rotate, but we cannot rotate this guy off the field for more than 22 of these 72 snaps because he's just playing out of his freaking mind right now. But 32 for Hill was great to see. Actually, Hill played more than Dalvin Tomlinson this game. I think it was more of just game scheme, to be honest. I think they wanted a lot of speed and athleticism to kind of contain Russell Wilson. So we actually might see this with Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray as well. But I don't think it's really an indictment on Dalvin Tomlinson. And by the way, this is just a perfect example of like why i can't trust pff i'm sorry to say it but like bj hill his entire grade is being dragged down so he has a 49 and a half overall from pff even though he had three pressures and a hit on and he had the rep we're talking about three pressures and a hit total on literally what 25 pass rush reps which is actually really good but he has a 49 and a half overall grade even though his pass rush grade is 69 and a half because he gets a 20.9 grade for whatever reason for tackling their tackle grade which then drags down their entire overall grade I mean, that's well, just a joke to me. You just got to take their grades with a grain of salt. I think yeah. PFF can be valuable when you're looking for specific stats and stuff like me that. Too. And I think it's a good resource. I but, used to work at PFF. But as <laughs> yeah, but as I always say with with analytics, and that doesn't necessarily always contain just PFF. But when you when you want to evaluate the game. Uh, in my mind correctly, you want to take analytics and the game tape and what you see into account. That's why you can't just trust numbers all the time. You want to actually watch the film and see how they're playing and kind of interpret it yourself uh, if they did something wrong. Because what does a missed tackle even mean? Did he get kicked out? But he actually out? only is credited for one total missed tackle in this game. So it's like, yeah. I don't really know... So for me, for PFF, I actually like their metrics a lot. I like their pr- like total pressures, their yeah, pass rush productivity mm-hmm. rating, which to- which divides their pat the, a, t- a player's pass rush snaps by his hits, hurries, and sacks. Like which gives you basically a snapshot of okay, let's not just look at total snacks. We have to look at how many reps these people got and how productive they are on each rep. But when it comes to just the grades, that's where I have my major issue with PFF. Everything else I'm good with PFF. All their metrics. All their interesting things from that standpoint, grades wise, I don't, I don't like the grades. I'm, I, out, I'm out on the grades. I just also don't. I'm out really, on the grades. I don't really know how the sausage is made either. You know what I'm saying? We don't so, know how that's made yet. So but the grades. It is what it is. You use it for what you can use it. But for let's sure. let's get back to the Giants though. Sure, sure. Yeah, dude. Uh, containing DK Metcalf is not easy, but James Bradbury did a pretty damn solid job doing it. And you could tell Patrick Graham was putting a precedent on it as well because when they were in cover three or if they were even in cover two and DK Metcalf to the boundary man, they were cloud covering him pretty heavy with underneath coverage cloud coverage is when you cover the underneath portion and you kind of play trail technique if you're in like man coverage and then you have help over the top so you can kind of give yourself a leeway to force that quarterback to make that perfect type of throw over the top but you're gonna have help coming over so you don't have to be over the top of him it kind of allows you to you play better against those in-breaking routes and stuff like that and it really forces quarterbacks to put perfect passes high and outside which is a very difficult task for a quarterback to really and do. Bradbury had some really good reps Excellent. breaking on the football on those in breaking routes the really the only way they got the only I mean Metcalf had a decent game he had what 80 yards and he, they when they got Bradbury was on the out routes it was all it was all out routes and I mean in some degree like you can't do anything about it. there was one play I remember watching on tape where Russell Wilson just literally put like a perfect ball on Metcalf mm-hmm. near the sideline it was like a 14 yard out route that like Bradbury had really good coverage on, but the ball was perfectly placed. And that's going to happen when you're dealing with Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf. <laughs> but overall, I agree with you. And how about Isaac Yidem, man? This might have been Yidem's best game. I mean, I early in the game, he made his presence felt. Second and 10 from the Giants 13, the, C- the Seahawks were driving down. This was a key stop for the Giants. Again, what do we say about this Patrick Graham defense? Clamping down in the red zone during drives, turning seven, turning drives that could be seven that change the entire landscape of the game into just three points. That's what Patty Graham does. And on this specific drive, you got to give the credit to Yidem and then Peppers on the next play. Patty Graham, when I hear that, I think of two things. I think of like an old lunch lady at like a <laughs> high school cafeteria or like St. Patrick's Day, like an Irish person. Which one would you pick out of that for Patty Graham? Depends, I guess, on how you say well, it. Well, the way you just said it that last way, that was Irish for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're just thinking, if you just, yeah, you led me. It was a very leading question yes, with yeah. the way that you said Patty Graham. But I think I'm going with the Irish thing regardless here. Ah, Patty Graham, yeah. Yeah, that, was, that wasn't bad. <laughs> you say you're really bad at uh, accents. That, yeah, we'll yeah. see if the, the listeners think that was that was bad or good. I would generally think they're going to think that's bad. But hopefully it's the former. 
Anyway, the second and 10 rep at the Giants 13 with 12-4 remaining in the first quarter, it's a great man coverage rep by Isaac Yadam, a guy who struggled at times in man coverage, and he makes a great break on the ball, thrown to the end zone, incomplete pass, sets up a third and long, where then in their next play, Drew Peppers carries down the tight end down and makes a PBU. The only place Russell Wilson can go with the football is where he ends up going with it on this play, on this late-breaking tight end wheel. And great play by Peppers. Back-to-back great plays by Yidem and by Peppers that really give the Giants a chance to get out of this situation and force the, the Seahawks to only put three points on the board, and it ends up making a big difference in this game. And on that third and ten, who's uh, spying Russell Wilson? Good old number 29 there. Yeah. But you're right, the man coverage on the third and ten play was really excellent, and Jabril Peppers did an excellent job carrying, I think it was Jacob Hollister, up and through the end zone and then getting his hands on the ball. And with Isaac Yidem, it was just a really smart play, just reading the quarterback and then reacting, getting his front hand into the catch point and that's something that I wanted to bring up because remember the dreaded Boston Scott touchdown that led to the Eagles defeating the Giants a few short weeks ago but it seems like an eternity ago Jabril Peppers was kind of criticized and critiqued by defensive backs coach Jerome Anderson because he attacked it with his upfield hand and that's not the way that he is teaching it. Jerome Anderson came out and he said it was a hell of a throw and it was a hell of a catch by Boston Scott and Carson Wentz, something you're not really hearing that much about these days. Mm-hmm. But um, he talks about how Jabril had to go in or how he had to go in with his opposite hand. Quote, if I go in with my left hand there, I'm into his body. I'm into his face. I'm into his hands and I get to fight all the way down to the ground for the ball as opposed to that one shot and done type of stuff. I get to fight him all the way down to the ground. If you watch both of Isaac Yadam's PBUs in this game, he does that with his front hand. He jumps and he gets that front hand on it. Now say he misses like Jabril Peppers did in the Boston Scott play, he has that other arm to kind of put on that wide receiver's hip or to just wrestle it down to the ground like Jerome Anderson said. So Isaac Yadam's taking to this coaching and he's doing exactly, per quote, what Jerome Anderson wants him to do. And it just makes a lot of sense when you really think about it too. Why are you going to give yourself one shot with that one hand when you can have your one hand, if you miss, you have the other. Yeah, it's a great way to break it down. And it's just another example of this incredible coaching staff that Joe Judge put together. You got to think about this, guys. A big reason the Giants are having so much success now on the defensive side of the ball and on the offensive side of the ball. What did we talk about on the last podcast? How well the tight ends played in the blocking game. Freddie Kitchens, they get a head coach. A guy, again, wasn't that great as a head coach, was amazing, by the way, as an offensive coordinator. Wasn't that great as a head coach, but has experience there and is, and got the job because he's a great teacher and got the job because he has talent as a coach. They got him as an assistant. They got Jason Garrett as an assistant. They got Brett Bielma, a guy who coached the Wisconsin Badgers to multiple Rose Bowls and then went to coach Arkansas. They got him as an outside linebacker coach. Guess what hand he's been dealt? His top three outside linebackers are all on injured reserve. And yet he's getting production out of guys like Carter Coughlin and Jabal Shear, who he quote-unquote, according to him, saw that he had good pressure numbers on BFF <laughs> and decided to sign Sheard. And by the way, guess who's in my general notes? Jabal freaking sheared, man. And I talked about this off-pod with Nick because I wanted to confirm what if what I'm seeing is true. But Jabal sheared is turning into a hell of a pickup by the Giants. Just a little scrap heap, unexpected signing off the Jacksonville Jaguars practice squad that's ending up being an excellent signing because Jabal sheared knows the system. He was able to step right in. He's doing an excellent job setting the edge in the run game. And he's a little bit more juice than you would expect, by the way, as a pass rusher. So again, to have all these coaches, I love hearing that breakdown you had. Uh, from Henderson and I just feel like the Giants have such a really great coaching staff together not just Patrick Graham the assistants are making such a big difference in what we see on the field and we've kind of talked about it on the podcast how important positional coaches really are to the continuity of a football team because position coaches move sometimes and you never really think about it in the offseason you're like oh yeah yeah, he got he's an offensive coordinator now good for him but like that's a huge part of what the team was leaving and now you're replacing it with somebody who might not be as equipped so with this staff that Judge assembled is is really paying dividends right now. And Jabal Sheard, like you said, man, that one play, it was a, a first and 10 run. It was a zone read where the read defender was Jabal Sheard. And he does a good job forcing Russell Wilson to hand this ball off to Chris Carson. And then he attacks downhill and he absolutely obliterates Chris Carson, which is a very hard thing to do because oh, yeah. Chris Carson is very effective. If I had to quantify Jabal Sheard's skill set, it would be heavy hands, strong at the point of attack, edge setter and he also like you said he has power rushing moves yes he doesn't have the juice to bend the edge that kind of flexibility that's not necessarily his game but for what he needs to do in this defense he fits Mm -hmm. and he's doing it well he's not as athletic 
as Kyler Fackrell, but he's doing what he's asked to do at a pretty solid level right now, and he's giving us Giants fans more than what we expected from when the Giants signed him off the Jaguars practice squad. Exactly, and there's a Jaguars reference for those of you fans of the way Nick's pronounces <laughs> Jaguars. I still don't I, I don't understand that. As a North Jersey, as a kid who grew up in North Jersey and has lived here his entire life except for when he was in the Marines, Nick Filato has some very weird pronunciations of words. I do. No, none more yeah. weird than Jaguars. I, so... Okay. Where the not, eye not is to, coming Not from. to beat this dead horse, but how how am I supposed to say Jag- Jaguars. Jaguars. Is that it? No, you did it. You just did wars. Wars. Wars? Yeah, Jaguars. Jaguars. U-A. The U-A that's, sound is war. Yeah, that's a weird one for me, man. I don't know what it is. Or you could do the way they, they do it on the car commercials, Jaguar. But then Ooh. I'll fucking hate your... Then I'll think Jaguar. you're the most smug son of a bitch. Oh, man, I will smell my farts so much if I start saying it like that. Jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, I was actually contacted by a listener of the podcast who said when we put explicit on the show so we should try not to curse because of this it doesn't show up for people on their feed if they have if they like have child things or they're so don't ever put the e on we're just gonna have to edit out all of our curses i think i used the b word there hopefully that'll be all righty for you guys so we just put in the like description curse words maybe yeah (laughs) you might hear a curse word if you listen to this podcast you might hear a curse word here and there we'll try to limit it though. but we will limit it let's get back to the giants i want to break down with you nick the plays we're talking because again what are we themes of this game disguised intentions another theme contained contain Russell Wilson in the pocket. Another thing, discipline. Discipline plays. So before I want to get into the final thing we want to do on this podcast, which is break down the game-changing plays and break them down on tape, I want to talk about some plays where the discipline and preparedness of this defense really stood out to me. So I want to start with a first and 10 at the Giants' 36-yard line with 116 remaining in the second quarter of this game. Discipline, discipline, discipline. The Giants are thrown at them by the by the Seahawks a throwback screen that's the design we've seen the Giants use once I think this season and use it really well we've seen the Chiefs have made this just a play not as much this year for some reason with CEH but in past years the Chiefs have made this a staple of their playbook and the Seahawks used this one time all game it's like they were waiting to use this play they were excited to use this play they'd planned all week to use this play but against the Patrick Graham Giants defense right now they're somehow ready for this play, even though it's only used once. They tried the throwback screen. Wilson has nowhere to go with it because it's unbelievable recognition on this play by Sheard91, first of all, and by Blake Martinez, the middle linebacker. Eventually, Russell Wilson, who tries to throw this throwback screen, dances a little in the pocket, realizes, oh, I have nothing I can do. He's going to get sacked, and then throws the ball anyway. Hyde catches it, is immediately rallied to by both Sheard and by Blake Martinez. He actually forces a fumble that goes out of bounds. But what ends up happening is it throws the Seahawks into a second and 16 after they had just been driving down the field against the Giants, and it totally derails their entire drive. Eventually, they have to punt here from the Giants' own 42. This started at the Giants' 36-yard line. If they had not had this play blown up on this throwback screen, let's say they caught the Giants by surprise. It could have led to a touchdown or got them in field goal range. If they had just run a two-yard play there, the Seahawks are really close to field goal range. Instead, this led to a punt, took three points, maybe seven off the board. This is such excellent discipline and preparedness by the Giants defense. Yeah, Jabal Sheard sniffs this out, and Carlos Hyde, he, when he starts flowing to the left, like he's kind of like trotting, and it's kind of like, to me, it looks like it's going to be some kind of misdirection or some kind of throwback, especially because the entire offensive line is moving to the left. And on this play, even though the line is moving to the left, B.J. Hill drives the offensive lineman so far left and into a pass rushing Leonard Williams, and this lineman falls down like he's just shot. And he just lays on the ground for the rest of the play. It actually looks very painful. Maybe I shouldn't be laughing about it. But another big part of this play, too. This dude just got wiped out oh, dude, by he's, him. He's still on the We're ground. We're watching this thing. Yeah. This guy just, he, Will just ruined Watch his life. Because he does run into the back of Williams. on the, He drives him into the back of Williams and just ruins this guy's day. And Williams isn't even deterred. He goes and he gets no. a quarterback hit on Russell Wilson. And Jabal Sheard sniffs this out so well and he actually almost comes up with the interception here and it was really really close Blake Martinez is boxing Carlos Hyde in he's basically on the sideline he's going to force everything inside and this play wasn't going to go anywhere because of the Giants sniffing it out but if like you said it didn't it would have been three four offensive linemen against Blake Martinez say Blake Martinez was fooled by it initially against Blake Martinez dropping back and Logan Ryan and with no angle 
Logan Ryan would have had the only angle, but he would have had four linemen to come in. This could have easily been a touchdown. Yep. And again, goes to coaching. It goes to smart veteran players like Blake Martinez and Jabal Sheard. And there was another play with excellent discipline, excellent preparedness by this Giants defense. First and 10 from the Seattle 39-yard line in the third quarter of this game. 706. Again, these are key plays because remember, this game was decided by so few points that in that past example that we just went over, they literally took three points, maybe seven off the board. In this example, the Seahawks try this play, and they've seen I've seen this play from the Seahawks always from watching them. They try this fake play action to the left where they leak the wide receiver who comes from left side of the formation where they're faking the run to across the formation to the right, and you just have Giants defenders immediately there to rally down and get a one-yard gain. And this is why it's so important, because on the very next play, it's, it's that blow-up play we talked about earlier with with Williams destroying the double team and Hill destroying his, his the right guard right off the snap. And again, these are the type of plays where the Giants just look so prepared. They look so disciplined. They're not caught off guard by the misdirection. And that's a big thing for defenses these days. There's a reason for that, too, on that 7-0-6 first and 10 play. And it's because the Giants blitzed. And the Giants did a solid job bringing five-man pressures. They were getting home with four-man pressures, definitely. But they love bringing Darnay Holmes, Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers in as that extra blitzer. And they did a really solid job uh, on the back end covering everybody despite bringing a five-man pressure package when they decided to do so. But they bring it to that side. And every Giants defender in the area is keying on that flat because the defender just vacated it. That and you usually see tight ends in that position, not mm-hmm. Tyler Lockett. You see Tyler Lockett in that position. He's not coming across and blocking an end man on the line <laughs> of scrimmage. He's going to catch a ball on a play action fake. And that's exactly what happened. So Blake Martinez wasn't fooled at all. Logan Ryan is there. And so is, I think it's Isaac Yidem who makes the initial tackles. Again, like I say about Yidem, I don't think he's that great in man coverage, even though I think he's been improving so much because of the coaching. But I love him in run support. And again, another game. And he's also out here making pretty damn solid tackles. Yeah, you're damn right he is. All right, let's talk about, there's a few major things we want to talk about. Do you want to break down the game-changing plays, or do you want to talk about a potential Nick Filato hot take? And I'll talk about it by referencing a play, so we'll get into this now. First and 10, Seattle has the ball at their own 30. It's the fourth quarter. They need points. There's 11-27. And this was just one example of where Russell Wilson missed a whole shot. He had 83 on this play. He decided to check down to Carson instead. The ball was tipped, intercepted by Darnay Holmes. So my question for you is, I know from talking to you off pod, you saw some plays where Russell Wilson left some where Russell Wilson left some yards on the field and decided, like he did in this one, to check down and to not throw that whole shot. First off, we pride ourselves on being objective here, and I don't want to bring any negativity to this Giants defense because the Giants defense was excellent rattling Russell Wilson and making him feel very, very uncomfortable, which led to him, which possibly led to him missing a lot of these throws. But there was several plays in this game where Russell Wilson had people open downfield and for whatever reason he didn't pull the trigger and that's that's a he fact he didn't see it he didn't see it or he didn't there were times where he could have pulled the trigger and he just decides to check down and in part this is also because of the Giants defense there was one play where Isaac Yadam was being high load and he dropped so he's playing on the sideline there's somebody in the flat and then there's somebody running a seven route and he drops to a depth to make Russell Wilson question that seven route so then Russell Wilson just checks down, the item rallies and makes a tackle. And then there was the interception play that, Dar- that you were just talking about uh, with Darnay Holmes. Tay Crowder drops to a depth where that whole shot may have been a little bit difficult. But Tay Crowder is so disciplined with his eyes, and he's in drop or spot drop zone, so he's reading Russell Wilson. And Rus- once Russell comes down to that running back in, in the right in the middle hook, he just starts darting down towards there. But Initially, Russell Wilson sees Tay Crowder in that hole. So that play might not be the best example, but there were a couple plays where I looked and I see number 14 in the middle of his own with like six, seven yards in between defenders. And I'm like, that's a, a spot where you think Russell Wilson would make that throw, recognize that, and throw the football. And he's not necessarily under incredible duress at this point, but he just doesn't recognize it. And then split second later, he's under duress. So it's a credit to the Giants' defense. But there were throws that Russell Wilson, if we're going to be real, left on the field. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to the post-game press conference from Russell Wilson and from Pete Carroll, they both kind of look like beleaguered and basically like men who were broken down by what Patrick Graham threw at them and how disguised the Giants' defense really was. And like you said, disguised intentions. They... 
confused this offense in a lot of ways and really got to a, it got to a point where like you said Russell Wilson didn't look like himself out there for whatever reason that was it wasn't the Russell Wilson who was the MVP for the first six seven weeks of the season it was a Russell Wilson who could barely put up 12 points against the Giants and it was awesome to see it really was and it's great to see this defense reach this level and reach this height and so with that said I do want to get into and and, and I want to say one quick point you mentioned it I do love like like you said that's such a good example of why Crowder is valuable right now because he's really t- taken very well to the coaching and he has so much quickness and speed from that position that it's really important to have a guy like him on the field there and not a Mayo and not a and not a um, downs in that exact type of role because it allows just what you said that ability to rally down like he did or to kind of play enough depth so you can't throw that whole shot in between the zone. Because if you, you have my, Mayo sitting there, or Downs, like... Mayo has been especially bad this year. Mayo is so bad, it's beyond belief. I hate seeing him on the field. I, I don't like seeing him on the field either. I feel like and I he's, feel bad saying that. He's I, a professional athlete. He's a nice guy, I'm sure. Whatever. The Giants signed him. That Gettleman had like an almost flawless offseason with the exception of re-signing Mayo. I didn't like it at the time, and I still don't like it, but... He also had a pretty bad mistake. Like I, I'm pretty sure... I'm not a special teams expert, but I'm pretty sure this, the yeah, punt block was David Mayo's fault. Mm-hmm. Now, on that play, they brought—I guess you can call it a blitz—but they call, they just brought an extra guy, and David Mayo should allow the snapper Kreider to take the guy who's basically on his outside shoulder. But instead, they kind of double team him, allowing the blitzer, if you want to call him that, to run right around Ebner because Ebner is engaged on his assignment. So that was really on David Mayo. It's damn unfortunate, and we need to stop those types of mistakes. But when he's out there too, man, you, you see, like, I feel like he, he's just slow to diagnose. And he's not, he doesn't strike me as somebody who ever really struggles with mental processing or anything. He's more of an athletic liability. But I always feel like he gets sucked too close to the line of scrimmage on play fakes, and then it takes him so long to scramble. And on some of these big, biggest plays the Giants give up, he was out there. Like, that Terry McLaurin yeah. touchdown was kind of his fault and I know Isaac Yadam's supposed to make that tackle but he was coming from the sideline in his deep third to kind of try to make an incredible play on the football yeah that's on the linebacker I think more yeah exactly so he's definitely somebody that I don't really want to see out there take Crowder's Devontae Downs is an upgrade over him as well they really are going to need to like people talk about what are the Giants needs this offseason everybody points to edge everybody points to cornerback two, receiver whatever it may be I think they really need another linebacker, another interior, another inside linebacker, or another one of these types of linebackers. Somebody else. To, I like Crowder, but in case he gets hurt. I, I think like, you can draft one, though. Oh, you can definitely draft like, one. Like, in, like, the Giants have proven that you can find people in, in the middle rounds. In the middle rounds. Late rounds. Yeah. I wonder if Cam Brown could ever play something like that in, in, yeah. in situ- situational types. You're not going to really want Cam Brown to probably do that on early downs, but maybe on passing downs. Like, sure. we kind of talked about his length really really forces quarterbacks uh, to to stress throwing windows. And speaking of Cam Brown, this can get us into Ooh. one of our critical plays of the game, the game-altering plays. And Cam Brown, a man who only played 14 snaps this game, found himself making one of the biggest plays of the entire game. So let's get to that right now. Cam Brown setting the edge. For those of you who want to follow along, it's 10.07 left in the third quarter. Third and two, Seattle's on their own 40, starting to drive down the field. Yeah, this was this was a really underrated play because if Seattle drives down the field at this point in the game, the Giants may not win this football game. It's 5 nothing at this point. This is before the Giants scored any points. And you're talking about they go down and score a touchdown. You're looking at a two-score deficit. The Giants might have to change their game plan and not really go as run-heavy. So this is a big play by Cam Brown, who no one really expects to be this edge-setting solid against the run type of player i mean it's a rookie six round pick but on this play they run out of the shotgun they run an outside run to chris carson and cam brown meets the tackle in space tackle tries to jump set him and the tackle makes initial contact and kind of pushes cam brown back a bit but cam brown doesn't re-engage cam brown focuses his eyes on the backfield uses eye discipline something we've kind of talked about on this podcast locates chris carson sees his path and chris carson has to kind of bounce it wide and outside because jabril peppers blitzes through that b gap and forces him to do so and obviously cam brown knows the play call knows jabril peppers is going to come and do that so cam brown instead of re-engaging he goes wide and kind of flows outside of the tackle and forces Chris Carson to try to jump cut back towards Jabril Peppers. Did not work. Cam Brown makes his tackle and forces a punt. This is a huge play because the next drive, 
was the Alfred Morris touchdown, the Wayne Gallman 60-yard run, yep. the two-point conversion. So Cam Brown, not a lot of people talk about this play, gigantic in this game. Gigantic play. And then you see later in the game, when Seattle has the pressure of the Giants having taken the lead, they end up going for it on fourth and one instead of the same situation where they ended up punting in a very similar spot on the field a little further along so let's go over that play where the Giants the Seahawks had the ball on their own 48 and the Giants were able to get a fourth and one stop you know how hard it is to stop fourth and ones in this freaking league it is so hard and the Giants did it how did they do it Nick? especially because you got to realize what Patrick Graham thought and you can't blame Patrick Graham for thinking this he lines up in tight with four guys down on the line of scrimmage. So you have two, three techniques and a nose. And then you have Leonard Williams as a five technique to the boundary. Then you have Carter Coughlin to the strength with three tight ends out there. So they're lined up like, hey, you could try to run up the middle. You're not going to run up the middle. Try to do something outside. So you have Blake Martinez kind of helping out. Jabril Peppers kind of helping out Carter Coughlin to that strength. So if there's any kind of run out there, they're going to crash down incredibly quick. So you have your best linebacker out there. You have David Mayo to the weak side. Anyways, so you have Chris Carson. It looks like they're going to run the football, but it's a play-action boot. And Russell Wilson gets out in the space. This usually is a lock for... Lock first down. Lock for either he's going to pick it up with his legs or he's going to pick it up through the air with the tight ends releasing into coverage. But Carter Coughlin, we kind of mentioned this play before, just gets away from the tight ends and just hustles down yeah. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson tries to do his spins, didn't work. And then Isaac Yidem, to kind of bring the whole podcast back full circle, yes. uses that outside hand to knock the ball away while having his inside hand on the receiver, which was, was Chris Carson coming out of the backfield. So, taking to the coaching, you have Carter Coughlin with his hustle. I mean, just an excellent stop by the Giants. Defense. And there's no flag to be seen on this field because there's no flag to be thrown. That's what really impressed me about a lot of these game-changing plays, with the exception of that 3rd and 15 that the Giants got flagged for and got the auto first before the Chris Carson 22-yard uh, touchdown reception. There were no flags to be thrown because the Giants defense played this fully the right way. And and even on that play, I mean, that was... if he I don't know if he needed to do that, Darnay, but it's okay. But... Just an excellent play by Yadam to break on the ball, an excellent play by Coughlin to hustle this play down, and just such a game-altering play when you turn the ball over there. The Giants eventually turn that into seven points, their next touchdown of the game, with four straight runs, and then the play action to Alfred Morris where he leaks out wide open. The short field is part of why this touchdown happens. That's why it's such a big play in this game. That's why it's a game-changing play. And there were other ones in this game including one we already went over but deserves to be referenced again, and that was the play where Leonard Williams spun back after having contained on the delayed blitz by Crowder, gets the sack. That turns a drive that was looking promising for the Seahawks into a second and 25, and it is so hard to get out of second and 25s in the NFL. It are, they, those are drive killers, and in games like this where every drive matters, it's important. And then another key play, we'll throw it all the way back because it deserves to be mentioned even though we're not going in chronological order, it doesn't matter, happened earlier in the game. Third and four from the Seattle 40 with 949 in the first quarter. This was their second drive. This was right after they drove down the field on their first drive, had to settle for three. The Giants couldn't get much going on offense, and they gave it right back. If the Seahawks keep this thing going here and turn this into a drive of seven, going up 10 nothing is going to turn the whole momentum of this game around. It might take Jason Garrett off of his game plan, but on this third and four, it's just such a great example of Patrick Graham's creativity and brilliance here. The Giants have one single high safety here, and they have him at eight yards depth in man coverage. This is just awesome stuff. There's only one guy with his hand on the ground. That's Leonard Williams. Nick, break this one down further. Yeah, so basically the Giants run a cover one. And like you said, the deep single high safety is like eight yards off the ball. <laughs> and then he just drops right before the snap to basically get like 30 yards off the line of scrimmage almost. And everybody else is in man coverage. And we're lucky on this play because Jabril Peppers kind of misses his assignment here. He doesn't really notice that Carlos Hyde leaps into the flat. And he Carlos Hyde is wide open by about 15 yeah. to 20 yards at one point. And then Peppers kind of realizes it. And he gets out there really quickly. But the pressure up front kind of doesn't allow Russell Wilson to even notice that Carlos Hyde is wide open. Because Giants run a really exotic stunt here. They bluff a blitz with Xavier McKinney. Haha, number 29 is in there once again. He kind of shoots the B-gap and forces that number 68, the guard, to kind of stay put and flare out, which also kind of puts Ethan Pochick, number 77, into a weird spot because Leonard Williams, from the three-tech to the opposite side of the field, is going to be the hammer penetrator, if you want to call him that, <laughs> stunting into his inside shoulder. Tay Crowder shows blitz like he's coming initially, but the stunt kind of 
forces this transition between Pochich and the backside and the other guard, which is number 70, I guess you could say. But the guard never notices Tay Crowder whatsoever. So he passes Leonard Williams off, and it's kind of a clunky stunt, to be honest, because Leonard Williams and Tay Crowder, like, connect at the hip. And Tay Crowder, maybe number 70, saw Xavier McKinney dropping back, and he thought that's what Crowder was. But Crowder was coming on the blitz. He was coming on the stunt. So everybody follows Leonard Williams on the stunt, and nobody accounts for Tay Crowder. And there's, like, three-yard separation between that guard and the tackle on the outside blocking Carter Coughlin. And Tay Crowder does a great job not falling for Russell Wilson's spin and his theatrics. He just looks at his hips and sacks him for a loss of 11 yards on this play. And, again, the Giants kind of lucky here because there was blown coverage on this play, and the fact that 70 never picked up this transition when it looks clearly like he probably should have. But Tay Crowder... Tip of the cap to you, my man, for finishing this play. That's not easy. We've seen Aaron Donald and greats like that be in similar situations and fall victim to Russell Wilson's antics. And Crowder, Mr. Irrelevant, who is very relevant, did not fall for it. Yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of the things, and before we dive into the final game-changing play, game-altering play by this defense, I want to make note of something. Watching the game tape from the Seattle Seahawks offense against this Giants defense reminded me a lot of the Giants of yesteryear, the Giants of the Jerry Reese days and the Giants of the very early Dave Gettleman days, where there were multiple occasions throughout the game at critical moments, nonstop in all four quarters of the game, where the Seahawks offensive line had communication breakdowns, had a major issues dealing with stunts. There was one play where they had three offensive linemen dealing with Leonard Williams, allowing the looper to get free. There was one play where they ended up having a guard and a tackle on one edge rusher who wasn't even rushing and taking it because the Giants lined up uh, 48 over him and or I believe it was either 48 or 49 over him at the time, and then he dropped in the coverage, so they ended up having two guys account for one, and that allowed a free blitzer. And and then finally it all kind of comes into play when you see it throughout the game, and on this key play, this first and 10 from the Giants' 41-yard line to start the second quarter. Again, Seahawks threatening to score. Seahawks threatening to get a drive going, and ultimately this ends up in a punt by the Seahawks, which is key because, again, it takes three points off the board potentially, seven, who knows. And on this play, the Giants send an extra man, which qualifies as a blitz because they're sending five out here, and they're coming with five. And I love about this play is that they have 48 Crowder lined up at the edge alongside Leonard Williams, so the left guard and the left tackle are accounting for both of them, while they're off where their center and their right guard end up accounting for the looping Dexter Lawrence. It's at 97, and 49 then comes right off the edge to challenge the right tackle, and that allows Peppers to come as the free blitzer. Now, Peppers makes an incredible individual play on this. He blows up the running back. But what this results in is an eight-yard loss, and again, it's a drive killer. But one thing I wanted to say about this before I turn this over to you, Nick, I don't want to totally bury the lead here because 49, Carter Coughlin, his bull rush takes this right tackle completely off balance. This is a 235 to 240-pound edge, completely taking the right tackle off balance, crashing inside. Obviously, Peppers blows up the running back, makes the sack, but Coughlin's right there if Peppers isn't there to get him. Yes, and... This isn't Chad Wheeler, so let's qualify yeah, this is that before Wheeler came in the game <laughs> as well. But now Carter Coughlin does a great job making contact, and he doesn't necessarily bull rush him back and and get him to really utilize his anchor, the tackle that is, and put him on skates. But he just makes contact and then dips his inside shoulder subtly right around number 73 and it's more of a speed kind of thing for Carter Coughlin and he would have easily have had this sack like you said but you kind of already painted what happened in this play great job doing that bro because this play design is excellent by Patrick Graham because that stunt by Dexter Lawrence and Austin Johnson because the Giants are in bare front so you have the nose and you have two three three techniques that stunt occupies the guard and the center because they have to transition Mm -hmm. nobody picks up on Jabril Peppers disguised intentions he doesn't show that he's blitzing until about a second before the snap happens so I think it's Jacob Hollister the tight end the H-back kind of stays in to be the to be accountable for the blitzer along with Chris Carson who's doing the play action and Hollister I believe it's him doesn't even make contact with Jabril Peppers he basically totally whiffs it's like an ole it's (laughs) it's totally like that and then Chris Carson is just met by Jabril Peppers who gets his vengeance after Chris Carson kind of ran him over a little bit earlier in the game Peppers puts him on his back and then it's a sack for Peppers and I would say Carter Coughlin as well should probably get a half sack on this play but the, the design is excellent because like you said both of the 
blockers on the left side of the line of scrimmage have to account for Leonard Williams and Tate Crowder because they don't know if Tate Crowder is coming and then both the center and that guard have to account for that stunt leaving Jabril Peppers going through the B gap basically unattended for outside of that running back and then that tight end who tried (laughs) yep you gotta love to see it man this is just Patrick Graham's defense in a nutshell this kind of design this kind of confusion the left guard and left tackle sitting out there on the island with one guy to block and then finally left guard realizes to go back inside and help out but it's too late by that point the play's already blown up it's awesome stuff man it's so fun watching this Giants defense it's so fun man and I love to see them kind of incorporate more man coverage principles when it warrants and they they do so to not establish a trend so the Seahawks can go back to the sideline and be like all right let's devise a bunch of man beaters we'll call man here Patrick Graham's going to show you man and guess what he's going to back off into zone and then he's going to bring a blitz and then he might bring a cover zero at you but not in Greg Williams fashion he'll do it in a more um, intelligent fashion I guess you can say it that way and then he'll just roll with his cover threes and he'll roll with his inverted cover two sometimes and he'll roll with his just too high which is something we don't necessarily see all that often in the past but he ran a lot of just too high zone underneath type of plays so it's it's a welcome sight, and it makes me think, too. It's like, why, why isn't every defensive coordinator doing this? But there, there's so many little intricacies that go into this, and then you have to teach the personnel, and then you have to have the right personnel. And I feel like Graham does have that to not not to 100%, but I think some of the guys that he has allows him to do this efficiently. Specifically, Jabril Peppers, Leonard Williams, Logan Ryan, James Bradbury, and Blake yes, Martinez. Yes, Blake Martinez. Those are the big five I would completely agree with you that allow him to do it. And just to say, man, like, with a full offseason next year, and they're going to have some added pieces on that defense, it could get even better if they're able to maintain Graham. The one thing I would say is the only red flag about this game is that just something to keep an eye on going forward. The one time where the Giants got into a little bit of trouble on defense was in the fourth, or at the end of the game, with that 12 play touchdown drive from the Seahawks. They went 82 yards in 12 plays and just 315. Why did it take so short? Because they used up tempo the entire drive. Now, if I'm the Seahawks, if I'm the Cardinals, if I'm the Browns, if I'm the Ravens, if I'm any team that plays the Giants the rest of the season, I'm looking at the Rams tape and I'm seeing where they caught the Giants off guard with that Cooper Cup touchdown. I'm then looking at this drive where the Seahawks were able to go right down the field and score a touchdown. And what I'm going to say is the Giants do look a little susceptible when they get faced with up-tempo. It doesn't allow them to do as much of that disguising and as much of that preparation before the snap. And you see on some of these plays, they're kind of like, look, they're caught a little off-balance at the snap, the Giants. There was one play where they were just moving around a lot before this quick-tempo snap, and Russell Wilson had all day back there, and then finally came back to Lockett, who moved from the right side and came back and on an in-breaking route, late, late in-breaking route. There was no pass rush. Everyone was kind of just like he just had all day back there so just something to keep an eye on watch for when teams use tempo right now it's on tape and the Giants have had some trouble against tempo and you brought up the Rams which is probably the quintessential mm-hmm. uh thing that happened but you also Dallas Cowboys with Andy Dalton yes Carson Wentz with the Philadelphia Eagles the Giants have struggled with this and like we said the kind of theme of this podcast has been disguised intentions you can't disguise your intentions if the ball is being snapped with 20 seconds left mm-hmm. on the play clock you're just kind of rolling with the punches at that place. And you might actually catch the Giants out of position if they're really trying to disguise their intentions. And then their actual assignment is 20 yards back. And they were going to Good try point. to drop 10 yards back before that. So that's definitely something that I am concerned about. And I'm pretty sure the Arizona Cardinals are going to come out with a lot of up-tempo against the Giants because they like to run a lot of plays anyways. So Yeah, it's, that's something to keep an eye on in this matchup specifically. It is, that's a great point. Um in general, though, I do think they'll face more tempo when the teams are playing from behind, so it's probably a good thing. It means the Giants will have a lead, mm. and we'll see if that happens throughout the rest of the year. But anyway, thanks again to everyone for tuning in to the Giants All-22 podcast. Nick, is there anyone else, any player, any coach, anything else you want to shout out before we sign off? I would like to just point out Darnay yes. Holmes again because I just love this kid's physicality. This dude is 5'10 on his tippy toes, and he's throwing his body around like he's 230 pounds and I have a lot of respect for that I really do yeah. so I, I always like to kind of shout him out because he's a rookie that I feel like I don't talk about enough even though maybe of recent weeks we've kind of been uh, applauding him but we've been talking a lot about the Cam Browns and the Carter Coughlins and even the Nico Lelos who we haven't mentioned yet on this podcast but again that fumble drill from Joe Judge in the mud looks like it's coming through there. Yeah. That technique, you go back and you watch Joe Judge's video from the preseason everyone was mocking. It's the same technique Nico Lelos used. It's actually kind of funny. But 
I just wanted to give Darnay Holmes, fellow rookie who's playing at a high level for a rookie, another shout out. He got that one penalty against Tyler Lockett that extended the drive on the third and 15. Didn't like it. Thought it was a little ticky tacky, but Darnay Holmes should know better not to grab Tyler Lockett like he did. I thought the flag probably could have been not thrown, but if it was thrown and it was, I'm not going to sit there and say it's a trash call because it it was a little bit of illegal contact there, but it was a little bit ticky tacky at the same time. But I still wanted to give Darnay Holmes that kind of credit. And Julian Love, please catch the football next time. Oof, Julian Love, that that interception he dropped could have killed the Giants in this game, and it's it's not a good look for him by any means. I'm going to give my final shout-out here to Dexter Lawrence. Everyone's going to mm. probably look at the first and 10 from Seattle's own 18 in the fourth quarter in 945 where Dexter Lawrence blows up Chad Wheeler, and that is an awesome play, but I want to give him a shout-out for a specific play he had earlier in the game. It's not going to get that much credit. People aren't going to be talking about, and in general, you don't get you don't hear a lot of Dexter Lawrence talk. But there is a play earlier in the game where the Seattle Seahawks are at first and 10 from their own 34-yard line with 10.53 in the first quarter of this game. And Dexter Lawrence, this is a favorable run look for Seattle, but Lawrence is just too much to handle for the Seahawks' offensive line. Just too much to handle. He blows up this run play. It's a zero-yard gain, and this dude is just relentless in the run game and just relentless getting off blocks. There was another play that was very similar to this, and the technique that Lawrence has in his second year is almost flawless. He has lower pad level. His hips are lower. He locks his arms out, and you can look at his eyes. His eyes are on the mesh point because it's a shotgun run between Russell Wilson and Chris Carson, and or Carlos Hyde on this specific play. And he's sinking his hips, like I said, and he's just flowing with the play. And then he disengages in a timely manner to make the tackle. He's very, very good at shedding blocks, keeping blockers off of his chest, and then reacting to what the running back's going to do. And he's sneaky athletic. He really is. He really is. He has very good lateral agility for a dude who's like 340. 45 pounds. So definitely that's a great shout out, Dan. No doubt about it. All right, that's all we have for tonight's All 22 Defensive Podcast show. We're going to also have a little special extra show coming this week. Tomorrow we will be interviewing former Cardinals tight end, member of the 1998 NFC Champion Falcons team as well, Ed Smith. Ed Smith's going to join us on the show. We're going to talk a little Giants, Cardinals, preview the matchup, see where things go. We had a few of those earlier this year. We're bringing them back when we can. So stay tuned. Check out the podcast feed. That should drop Thursday morning or Wednesday night, potentially. We might just throw it out Wednesday night after we get it done. So keep an eye out for that. As always, if you want to help us out, do us a favor. Give us a rating and review on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram at NYBayBlueBanter. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.